you have this um, amazing product. It, it's, it's miraculous. It does amazing things, but who cares, right? So it starts with making sure that, you know, people are aware of this. People are understand what it does, how it benefits them, how it makes their lives better um, in many different aspects. And that's the gap that marketing needs to bridge. Cool. And then, uh, you know, how has marketing evolved in the last uh, six years or, you know, since, since you joined the profession uh, and where is it going? So I would say the one thing um, that's always been there in marketing is storytelling. And, you know, when I'm asked, you know, what's uh, uh, the most important trait for a marketer, it's the ability to tell a story. So that's something that hasn't changed and will never change. Mm -hmm. However, the medium is always changing. You know, we're seeing, you know, just an example, you know, social media. Um, Facebook used to be the biggest thing ever. It's dead. Uh, TikTok is king. Um, uh, you know, and, and is that true? Yes and no. Okay, so, so Facebook obviously is a company uh, which owns- Just had their uh, best quarter ever, yeah. Which own, you know, uh, Instagram and all of that. So they're definitely kings. But the actual platform, again, depending on your audience, uh, Facebook is, is, you know, is Facebook, uh, you know, dot com, not Facebook the company, is slowly but surely declining. Um, as a business, obviously, they're smart enough because they built so many uh, different uh, uh, growth assets. engines and assets. Yeah. Exactly. Um, that they're going to, they're, they're here to stay. Um, but I'm saying that was just an example to, to show how, you know, things change. So yeah. it's the story you're going to tell still needs to be a good story. How you deliver it, the medium and the channels and the type of technology that you use uh, to enable uh, the delivery of the story are always on a change. You know, lead generation is something that changed significantly in the past 10 years. You know, um, the ability to personalize uh, you know, Don Draper used to be the ideal marketer. Today, it's more of a geeky type of performance marketing guru that, you know, that, that, that's a king of numbers. Mm -hmm. So that has changed a lot. But again, that's I, I tend to look at that as the medium and the way that you deliver the story. Um, so type of like you have a story, you have your market, the way that you bridge that gap or connect between the two has changed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're working at Optimove now for a while and, um, you know, it, it sort of um, took a different approach in terms of taking outside financing. Um, how do you think marketers in your situation see the world and optimize resources versus a VC-backed, you know, super hyper growth scaling the company very quickly? Um, are, are there any strategic, you know, sort of differences being in your shoes versus being in, you know, someone at like walk me, who's, you know, raising hundreds of millions of dollars and, and leading marketing there. So hundred percent. Um, and this is also even more so since I'm, uh, you know, again, homegrown. And when I started, uh, uh you know, doing marketing here at Optimove, there wasn't a budget. There was a business case. Okay, um, let's do this conference since, uh, uh, you know, um, this and that amount of our time should be expected to be at that conference and, and, and you know, and so on and so forth. So you make the case. Um, you're very modest in terms of your investment, right? So we, at the beginning, you know, we'd go with a three by three booth. I remember myself going on flights with a huge backdrop 
um, you know, traveling the world, doing road shows. So I think it's, it's, it's more of a modest approach and yeah. very, very price sensitive about everything. Um, and, and, you know, as we grew, that was something that was quite, you know, um, tattooed in. So even today where my budget is nowhere close to where it was, you know, uh, seven years ago, um, you know, by orders of magnitude, uh, still that type of mindset of being very diligent about uh, the investment and, you know, making sure that each and every cent has a business case behind it and that we do it very, you know, um, thoughtfully and, 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 you know, type of being more, um, I would say intentional. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think about the right adjective here, but, but it's just, it's, it's a different mindset. It's a different paradigm. Yeah. I um, love that. I love that mindset. What are some of the things that you found to be highest ROI over the years? And obviously it changes as the media changes, but what have some of those business cases been that have really paid dividends to the company? So for us, events uh, uh, have been huge and, you know, uh, 2020 and COVID uh, pretty much uh, gave that a kick, um, but um, in, 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 the, in the bad sense, right. um, but uh, the way that we started doing events, so, so, you know, we do two, three events a year, and then we've seen a good ROI to that. And then, you know, slowly but surely scaled that. It came to a point where in 2019, we had over 70 events globally. Oh, wow. Um, conferences, both hosted and uh, sponsored. Right. So that has been huge for us um, to, you know, to, to the extent of, you know, revenue contribution of around 30% of wow. the company's revenue uh, came in from uh, directly attributed to events. So Got that's it. been uh, big for us. And then the other 70% roughly, how, how does that map across different channels? So again, very much depends on the attribution model, but um, the other, uh, let's call it uh, revenue sources here are, you know, um, partners, uh, sales hunt. Um, we also have obviously digital marketing, and then you have what we call word of mouth, um, yeah. which is obviously, you know, supported by marketing. Uh, right. But then again, it's, you know, yeah, I heard about you from this and that. Uh, I used to work for this company and I used you guys and now I came to a new company and that's always for any company I've, I've, I've ever spoken with the strongest source of, uh, of demand and leads. Totally. And, and how has the story of Optimove changed over time and what you know, were sort of the inflection points in which you felt the narrative shift or has it been the same this entire time? So in a macro level, I would say that the, you know, the, the vision and the promise and the mission have, have remained the same. You know, it's, that's it's awesome. pretty much... Yeah. helping, uh, you know, uh, uh, CRM or retention marketers um, leverage data and just do better um, retention and maximize the customer lifetime value. That's always been like the umbrella type of, uh, it's not even a story, but it's the story elements, right? Yeah. But throughout the years, it changed based on the product's uh, development and evolution, based on the market needs. Um, and, you know, back Back, say, seven years ago, the biggest uh, thing was connecting, da activating data. Today, what we say is, you know, and, and the space is, is, is very um, crowded. So today we say, yeah, you know, a lot of companies can, you know, say that they help you activate data and leverage data to do better marketing. And then we would say that our, you know, differentiator is the scale, right? I, there's no other solution out there that lets you, uh, Mr. Marketer, manage right. hundreds of segments 
And the only way to reach true personalization is a lot of segments. And when yeah. you manage hundreds of segments, it's a framework that, you know, can't be managed by a human being, you know, um, and an Optimove, right. uh, uh, average Optimove uh, user um, manages anywhere between, you know, 100 to 500 north of that segments. That's, you know, type of, so it's always looking at that differentiator and, you know, positioning yourself in the market, which is always moving and you're also moving. So it's a very dynamic environment. However, still the overarching story elements are the same. Yeah. And so how did you guys adapt to COVID? How did you deal with, you know, 30% of your revenue suddenly going dark or the channel? And then what do you see as sort of the future of events given that we've been through this, you know, shift in culture and, you know, maybe it'll be temporary or maybe it'll be durable. So we did a few things when COVID hit and we were very quick to respond uh, from a marketing perspective. And so for example, for example, we have a very uh, strong content arm on my team. So uh, overnight we changed from, you know, the typical type of content marketing arm into a newsroom. We reported on everything and anything that has to do with COVID and marketing how it impacts okay. marketers, how it impacts budgets. And that got us a lot of traction, uh, digital traction to our uh, content assets. Yeah. Um, with events, you know, it was a big uh, uh, punch in the stomach, so to speak. Um, but what made it, quote unquote, off easier is that we weren't the only one on this ship, right? It happened globally. And it's not like there were other vendors that were able to do, you know, global trade shows. Um, it hit everyone equally. So what we did is we started to, you know, uh, um, as, as, as everyone else, tried to look around at virtual events. Uh, yeah. However, um, entrance barriers into virtual events are very low. You know, every and any vendor out there, or even not a vendor, individual contributors or, or, or you know, or, or type of, everyone started doing digital events and pod Literally podcasts. this. Exactly. <laughs> There's no barrier to entry. <laughs> exactly. And, and then I was looking at ways how we can do it differently and get value from it. So yeah. after a lot of uh, experimenting, um, we found that, you know, the smaller events that we host, not sponsor, uh, the ones where you can bring people like-minded um, in the same, you know, type of uh, job level to the same room to discuss, you know, their challenges, their day-to-day, -day, um, that's the type of things that bring the most value. Hmm. Um, and even more so, it lets us, um, you know, create this intimate discussion where, you're able to follow up with the delegates after the event and you get a response versus, you know, the larger hundreds of people, virtual events where people, you know, are looking at you maybe speaking on, you know, on, on this or another uh, a virtual event platform. They're yeah. checking their emails or scrolling their Instagram or whatnot. Right. And right. no one even remembers you or knows who you are. So yes, you'll get a list of attendees at the end of the event. Fine. Send them an email. Let's see how much response you get from that. Got it. That's actually really, really key. And I think, you know, not many um, marketers were able to see that from the onset. So it's awesome that you were able to, to get there. I actually will be incorporating that insight into my own, you know, event uh, strategy because I, I, I have noticed there, you know, in, in the larger events, uh, it does feel a little bit more distant and less engaged in the smaller events. There's a little bit more of a, of a sense of community. So that's, um, that's really interesting. So uh, what do you think is uh, going to happen moving forward uh, when it comes to events, but also just, 
you know, media more generally? Like, how do you sort of see the, the next few months or next few years unfolding in terms of, you know, where, where people are actually paying attention and where people are actually engaging? So um, from an events perspective, um, you know, I anticipate the end of this year, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter, uh, we'll start seeing uh, in-person events though not, you know, what we're used to see, you know, the global type of uh, uh, trade shows, smaller 100, 200, 300 person events that are usually, so if we're looking at the States, so it's gonna be probably state level. Um, Europe, it's gonna be probably country level. Um, we won't see a lot of uh, international uh, flights going in and out uh, to events. That's, you know, how I see things. And from my discussions with uh, event organizers, yeah. Um, and it'll take time. It'll take time until things uh, are, are fully ramped up. Um, and, and I'm not sure that it'll ever be what it was. Um, but I do think that long term, there won't remain a lot of impact or, or effect uh, from COVID on, on that. Where there will remain a lot of impact uh, um, from COVID, I think, is, is more of the digital realm, right? People uh, used uh, uh, this period to... Um, become experts in digital productions, if it's throwing events, if it's uh, creating content, if it's uh, anything digital. So there was a huge um, uh, a jump in, in, in individuals and companies' ability um, to create a, a strong uh, virtual uh, presence. Now, in that game, marketers need to think how they climb above the clutter. Again, yeah. in, in the virtual uh, uh, um, type of... Uh, um, world, entrance barriers are very low. If it's, you know, even, you know, look, think about online retail. It's so easy to start an online shop today, right? right. And that goes for, for any, you know, online discipline, right? Uh, doing online marketing, doing this, you know, a podcast, it became so easy. You just mentioned that, that new microphone that you bought for, for, a few, uh, for a few bucks, you know, and it sounds amazing. And, and the entrance barriers are very easy. So that's yeah. where you want to start thinking about the essence, how do you climb above the clutter? How do you generate that content um, that is different than what the others do? Where yeah. do you leverage uh, what you're strong with and how you type of, type of bring that to the virtual uh, uh, realm um, and create value for your audience? Yeah. So other than you know being good at moderation and getting high profile speakers, are there any other you know, barriers to entry that you've identified or that you would feel comfortable sharing? Because obviously maybe there, <laughs> there are competitive advantages. So, so obviously what, whatever you feel comfortable with. So I think that, you know, I have a lot of no notion, uh, notions throughout the years, not only from COVID about uh, content. And I think that, you know, um, many times we see marketers that generate content for the sake of generating content, because somewhere they heard that, you know, uh, content marketing is uh, one of the marketing disciplines and you have to do content marketing. Now, people that do content for the sake of doing content are, 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 are that's all wrong. Um, you first want to have something to say, have an interesting approach, have an interesting idea. And then that's where you want to start generating content. Because if you generate content for SEO, that's wrong. Even Google doesn't work like that anymore. It'll rank your content based on engagement of readers and users. Um, so, so that's the first thing. Don't generate content for the sake of generating content. Make sure that you have something to say 
that's of value to your uh, uh, readers slash listeners slash audience or whatever. Um, and, and, and then, you know, uh, um, start writing about it or generating content about it. How am I doing so far? Very good. Um, the second thing would be um, don't write about a topic, write for the audience, i.e., so for example, um, a few years ago, we started, um, we, we were always, you know, highly invested into content. And then at some point, um, you know, came up the question, how do we double down on content generation? So the answer was, you know, you start your own publication. So we started our own publication, uh, Post Funnel. And one of the notions there is that, you know, so our world is uh, the world of data and marketing and CRM and all that good stuff. Now, you can write about that only to a certain extent. But if you write to the CRM marketer, not necessarily about CRM, that opens up a whole new uh, uh, gamut of, 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 of topics you can write about. So yeah. in other words, don't write about a topic, write for a reader, right? So, so for example, we can write about things, uh, um, you know, starting from, uh, um, I don't know, think about even um, podcasts marketers should listen to, to, you know, um, comparing two brands on how they do uh, marketing or CRM. Yeah. And it's not necessarily directly about CRM. And the idea here that that would probably be the only way to get people read you time and again, right? Because think about how you consume at least written content today. So you have your, your feeds that are, you know, digested, digest content from several different, you know, publications on a myriad of, of type of, of, of topics that, that you're interested in. But what are those publications that you return to um, and go directly to, to, to their site in order to read what they have to say or their narrative? That doesn't happen a lot. That magic happens when you write to, to a certain persona, not about a specific topic, mm -hmm. right? So that's what we're trying to achieve many times with a post funnel. So getting people and, and one of the KPIs we're trying to max is the return uh, re returning visitors. So it's not only fine, you, you read us once, we want to bring you back and want to create that type of engagement. And as for your previous question about how type of uh, uh, marketing has changed. So today, the you know, a publication used to be a website. Today, think about, you know, Morning Brew, an email list could be uh, a publication, right? So that's how things change. And that's how marketers need to, to, to start thinking, you know, um, generating content for the persona, not necessarily about a specific topic and engaging them through different channels and creating that type of ongoing engagement, at least in where I come from, where it's enterprise deals, you know, seven digit deals, right. the process of, of, of you know, uh, nurturing an account, nurturing the lead is long and you want to create as many touch points as you can throughout that process. So you want to make sure that you're able to not only bring them once and then, you know, uh, um, let them leave, but create that ongoing engagement that includes many, many touch points. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's interesting the, you know, difference maybe between an individual content creator who's building their brand versus a company that, you know, is trying to sell a product, um, you know, because on some level, uh, you know, I think there also is magic if you just, uh, create content based on what you're truly interested in and what you have genuine curiosity about that people, you know, find themselves 
you know, following your interests rather than, you know, trying to, to tailor every, every piece of content to a specific persona. And I think that, you know, when you're a company uh, and you're, you, you know, your, your, your bottom line is how many leads are you bringing? If you're not saying something that interests that specific audience that you're targeting, uh, then yeah, you're probably off the mark. In my situation, I'm just thinking out loud because, you know, you bring up some really interesting points about who's my audience and what, you know, what messages am I directing towards them and how helpful am I being towards, you know, at, at this point, my main audience is actually Israeli founders. You know, I'd like to create content that helps, you know, Israeli founders think through fundraising and think through marketing and think through how to get from C to A and A to B and sort of these, you know, challenging journeys that uh, I've been a part of, um, you know, sort of for the last six or so years. Uh, and I think I'm still refining my product market fit in terms of, you know, the, the exact uh, areas that the, the founders that I'm looking to, to help are, are seeking. So it's an iterative process, but I really appreciate, you know, your, your insight. Um, but I think you're definitely going the right way, right? Because we all know that, you know, um, there's, a, there's a big debate about when should uh, the founder bring in marketing. So I think that, you know, uh, um, presenting entrepreneurs with different marketing approaches and, you know, different marketing disciplines is, 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 is valuable, right? Yeah. And if you're trying to generate value for that audience, then this, this what we're doing here definitely sounds like something that uh, hopefully, if I'm saying good stuff or interesting stuff, could be a value to your uh, audience. Yeah, totally. So just to circle back on the budget question. So today the, you know, the the startup ecosystem is exploding. Companies are raising tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. And obviously they don't have the diligence or the rigor or even the, you know, the culture of every single marketing dollar needs to be ROI positive. Uh, and obviously there's this tension. The marketer has a certain budget. If they don't spend it, it could get cut. So they might start you know, misspending it just to keep it at a certain floor and potentially be able to ask for more. So what would you say to someone in that position where, you know, they, they have to spend it to keep it, but it's clear that some of it may go into ROI negative channels. How, how does someone in that position need to need to manage? By the way, I'm not, it's, it's important to, to sharpen the point that, you know, I, not necessarily saying that every dollar should be attributed and, 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 you know, ROI positive, but okay. all by all, you want to make sure that all of your marketing spend is ROI positive. Right. Um, but the to aggregate, that, yeah. The aggregate. Exactly. Um, but to, to that, I would say like, you know, in investment, there are different types or, or different models, right? So there's, there's the VC model invest on a hundred different initiatives. One will explode. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So, so that, that's one, mar- you know, end of the day, marketing is the investment firm of the business. You get a budget, you want to make, make sure that you invest correctly in order to generate the highest, highest ROI, right? Yeah. Uh, and there are different models. Again, if you're looking at it at, at aggregate, end of the day, and, and that's the right way to do it. So there are different approaches. One is, you know, spray and pray. Do as much as you can, spread it as thin as you can, something will, will, will catch, right? Yeah. Um, that's not my approach, right? Um, my approach would be, um, I always call it um, inch wide, mile deep. Find those, A, start with defining your audience and then make sure that you have a good answer on each and every single dollar that you spend. 
how that contributes to engaging that audience, that, that, that addressable market, right? Once you have that, you're fine. And not every cent needs to be ROI positive, but you definitely need to have the ability to attribute it to how that created more touch points on your addressable, to your addressable market, right? Um, and the, the way that you do it or, or the way that you uh, report on, you know, um, how you use your marketing budget to board or, or whomever, um, there, you know, there, there are a hundred different ways of how to do it and how to uh, uh, show the, the return on, on your investment. But the idea is that you want to make sure that you're maximizing on not more than one KPI, where I would say for me, it's generating, it's maximizing the amount uh, of touch points I have with my addressable market, mm-hmm. right? And once you have that, that North Star type of uh, 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 initiative, you understand that everything aligns to that. And, and, and then you have a good story to tell about how you invest your marketing budget. Others could say, I'm trying to generate as much leads, as, as much contacts as possible to, for, to sales. And then you'd say, fine, I'll buy lists. I'll go to a, a thousand person events because end of, and, and, and sponsor those because after the event, I get the list of, uh, uh, of attendees and so on yeah. and so forth. As long as you have a story uh, behind uh, an investment story, um, that's it. And, and again, it's the same with investment firms. You know, your portfolio as an investment firm needs to have a story. There needs, there needs to be, you know, some kind of, uh, um, of resonance between, you know, the, the, the companies you invest in and what yeah. you expect to see as return and, you know, the, sure. the, the, the areas that you invest in and so on and so forth. Yeah. I, I never really thought about marketing as an investment activity until now. And it's actually interesting the parallels you've drawn between, you know, a, a VC who's spreading risk and return over a bunch of portfolio companies and a marketer who's doing the same across, you know, sort of different, different channels. I think that's powerful. Um, are there any role models that you really respect and look up to, um, you know, in Israel or the U.S., like just companies that you think have done an excellent job at, you know, sort of the story and the substance? Yes, I think that, you know, um, there's uh, Udi at Gong that I think, you know, uh, um, Udi and Amit are doing an amazing job. Both of them have a marketing background. You know, Amit used to be the CMO at Panaya, Udi, uh, the VP marketing there. Um, they've worked together, you know, with a lot of marketing context. So I think they're doing an amazing job. They also have an amazing audience to, uh, to market to and sell to, um, which makes it, you know, um, pr- gives them uh, the ability to go as crazy as they, as they want. And I think they're doing an amazing job. Um, yeah, I think that end of the day, um, we started this conversation where you asked me, you know, um, how do you define marketing? Um, so I'll, I'll take the liberty to ask myself, how do you define good marketing? And good marketing is being memorable. It's the type of stuff that you do and sticks in someone's brain. And then, you know, because at least, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the business of uh, enterprise sales, um, you reach out to accounts and prospects that aren't necessarily in a buying cycle currently. But you want to make sure that when they're in market to buy a solution, you're the first person that comes to mind. And that's exactly, you know, creating that memorability. And speaking about, you know, people do it right. So um, Gong definitely did it right. Um, you know, and, and there are tons of examples out there. Um, it's just creating that type of disruption. Um, and, and we're all exposed to so much marketing. Again, entrance barriers are so low. You just need to make sure that you, you're different. You do something that sticks. 
once you're memorable, that, that that's the, you know, we spoke about marketing, bridging the gap between the buyer and the, 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 the seller, product. so to speak, or the product. Yeah. Um, and, and the good marketing is bridging that gap and have and quote unquote off tattooing it into your brain in a way of, you know, yeah, I remember those guys. Um, so in, in the gong example, those guys with a purple gradient, um, those guys with a bulldog uh, uh, on their website, you know, it's those types of things that stick with you, right? And that's what creates good marketing. And that's, uh, I think, the way that you uh, are able to gauge marketing. You know, think about yourself. What, what's uh, uh, the last marketing campaign you remember? I can't think about something good that I um, was exposed to in, 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 you know, in the past few weeks. Um, I think the last marketing campaign that stuck with me was Optimove. You guys just have done such a good job at uh, being everywhere at all times. No, I actually, I, I, can't, I can't recall anything in particular. But what about you? I think that, you know, uh, SodaStream, uh, different area, different space are doing always an amazing job. They bring in amazing talent. If we go even, you know, a few years back, they uh, did some guerrilla campaigns with uh, Game of Thrones, you know, uh, a B-class actors, which was amazing. Um, yeah, those guys are doing an amazing job with, you know, uh, uh, creating memories, right? Uh, memorable marketing. Um, so shout out to Kareen uh, and, 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 and Mati, which was before her, who was before her. They're doing an amazing job in, in you know, creating in, in a very, you know, um, interesting space, right? You know, it's soft drinks, uh, sparkling water. Uh, how much can you be creative there? And they're killing it. You know, they're yeah. as creative as it gets. So, yeah. Well, when you have bubbles on your side, I guess you can, you, you know, you, that, that's an advantage. Now, um, you know, we're, we're talking about, um, you know, great examples um, of marketing um, but there's also this question of what to keep in house and what to outsource. Um, and you have the creative and you have the brand and you have the performance and you have the PR and you have all these different sort of, you know, specialists that are trying to help offload some of those responsibilities from the CMO or, or whoever's in charge. How, what has your approach been to agencies? Uh, and how do you think, you know, founders who are sort of early on in the journey should think about agencies? So I think that, you know, um, agencies uh, can be, or this is my approach. Again, uh, there are many different approaches out there. Uh, but my take is that agencies uh, can do one of two. A, fill gaps and B, build knowledge, right? So um, you take an agency when you don't have enough, uh, uh, um, you know, working hands or you want to uh, focus your, 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 your headcount in a different area. Um, so you bring in uh, a vendor and talking about a service vendor, not talking about technology, technology is a different ball play. Um, but service vendors, you bring them in, um, they take care of a certain area. You become more knowledgeable about it. Now, at that point where you're knowledgeable enough and there's, you know, critical massive activity there, um, there you come to a decision where you want to hire for that function. Do you have enough bandwidth to manage it A and to, for, for a full-time position? If the answer is yes, hire. If the answer is no, continue working with a vendor, right? Um, so, so, so that's pretty much it. You know, you ramp up your knowledge, uh, you fill in gaps. And in terms of entrepreneurs, I think that, you know, um, entrepreneur team need to think about, you know, which type of marketing they want to build and um, hire vendors to fill the gaps. So have a core competency for your marketing. If you want the type of marketing that know how, knows how to build a brand, so build or hire the talent to know how to build a brand and for performance, start using vendors. At some point, 
obviously you'll hire in when the marketing team will be big enough, you'll hire in the performance talent, but um, focus on what you want to uh, uh, deliver first. You want to build a story first. You want to build a brand first, hire the talent to do that in-house and all the rest outsource. Then mm-hmm. slowly but surely when you grow and if there's, you know, uh, enough, enough uh, work mass, then hire instead of uh, the vendor. And don't let go of good vendors. Even if it's in very small, even if you hire on top of, uh, of a vendor, still, you know, if you, if you found a good vendor, that's worth gold. Keep them on a low retainer. Make sure to, you know, uh, keep the lights on going with them because there's nothing as valuable as a good retainer, as, as a good, sorry, vendor. Well, that's interesting. So yeah, how do you do, how do, you do good diligence up front? if it's so hard to find these good vendors, like to my, to my, in my view, there's a lot of charlatans and a lot of people out there who, you know, market themselves as being able to solve your problems. But then when they start getting the retainer, they either, you know, don't give you the level of service or they just don't have the skills or they can't deliver on their brand promise. Uh, and in Israel, especially because marketing isn't their strength in many cases, I feel like there's a lot of missed expectations and it comes from both sides but if you're an israeli founder and you want to hire an agency you know other than talking to like what, what are some good questions to ask so you 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 avoid sort of you know spending three months with the wrong vendor and if the vendor is good do they even have space you know in some cases to take on you know a new a new client so is there an adverse selection by default when you're looking for for a vendor in, in, in some in some areas. Right, so there are many questions uh, and, and, and that question you just asked. So about how do you select a vendor? So uh, always start with asking the network, right? Um, today, you know, especially in Israel where it's a, it's, you know, we, we tend to call it in Hebrew the swamp. Everyone knows everyone. And, you know, if there's a good veteran, vendor out there, someone on your network has working with them for sure, right? Uh, so. First and foremost, ask your network. Um, and once you have, you know, a few uh, uh, candidates on your shortlist, um, look for the chemistry with the people. You know, chemistry is always the most important thing. If you have a good chemistry, because at the end of the day, you work, uh, at least in early stage, uh, very closely with your vendors. You want to make sure that you speak the same language, that you get each other, that, you know, um, that, you know, they'll be able to deliver according to your expectations. And, when that's behind, obviously, um, the most important thing, not only in selecting a vendor, but generally in any initiative, is to manage expectations, right? Um, what are you looking to get at what, t- at what time frame, um, you know, level of deliverabilities, uh, um, um, you know, an SLA, set an SLA, yep. a service yep. level agreement. Once that happens, boom. Yeah. Um. So then there's this other question of um, timing. So some philosophically say, you know, let, let me get product market fit. Then I'll start investing in marketing because I know that I actually have something the market wants. Others say you should be marketing from day one because to get to product market fit, you need to actually, you know, already have some presence. What, what's your philosophy on what's the right time to, to invest in this, uh, to invest in marketing? So there's the American approach: first hire a marketer, then first hire a CMO, then fire, then hire a VP R&D, right? right? And then there's the Israeli approach: first hire a VP R&D, then hire the CMO, right? Just uh, yeah. as, as a figure of speech. Now right. this all trickles down to talent pool, right? In Israel, 
we're known for our strong tech talent and the right. United States are known for their strong marketing talent. Now what's happening in Israel in the past few years is very interesting because there's a lot of uh, um, good marketing talent. So I would say as the marketing talent grows and matures here in Israel, the time to hire uh, uh, the marketing lead uh, for an entrepreneur just becomes closer to the beginning because you have enough people to know how to do it from the get-go, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, let's go 10 years back. Um, you know, marketing talent was mostly in B2C in the gaming sector, you know, the guys from Triple Eight. Um, right. And then, uh, you know, you would, you would hire later in this, later, you know, in, in, as, as the company, as, as the startup progresses, and at some point everyone was, you know, uh, building to sell, and you move the marketing to the United States. Today, we see more and more large companies that have their, you know, uh, their marketing core here out of Israel. Um, and there's a lot of good marketing talent here, um, which I think that the change that this creates is that the entrepreneur can start investing in marketing earlier in their journey, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, it's not far, um, where we, we become, you know, not the U.S., first hire the CMO, then the VP marketing, but maybe hire the same point, you know, start building the product, creating the product market fit with marketing, you know, starting to build uh, the, the, you know, the, the marketing uh, at, at, the same, at the same phase, at the same uh, pace. So I think that, again, to summarize, um, now that there's more marketing talent, more mature that have seen uh, a lot, entrepreneurs can hire marketing talent earlier in their journey. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I definitely see the, the culture shifting a bit um, in the last couple of years in terms of the, the willingness and openness to engage with, with marketing earlier on and, and understand its value. But we still have a ways to go to, you know, sort of be on par with America. I don't think we'll ever get there, honestly. Um, now, you know, I, I have just one final question. Um, and if anyone in the audience wants to pop in at this point and, and send anything, I'll be happy to, to, to integrate that. Um, but, but my final question is really just more of a general one. Um, you know, if you're starting the journey and, you know, you, you're going to raise a seed, you just raised a seed, uh, and, you know, you really want to, um, to build your, your marketing, uh, in parallel with your product, what are just some general tips that you'd like to leave our listeners with from, uh, from your vantage point? So I would think, um, and, and, I, and I get asked this a lot. So it's like, okay, you come on board a new team. What's your first hire? And the answer is straightforward marketing operations. Um, because marketing operations is the function that creates the foundation, the infrastructure of marketing. Um, and if you have a strong foundation, you can build anything on top of it. So um, my tip would be um, for entrepreneurs out there, if you hire a marketing head, um, ask them what's their first hire and, and, and you know, try to uh, uh, argue that marketing operation needs to be the first hire. And if you decide not to start with hiring the head, then hire you know, a marketing operations person. That's, that's definitely the first hire because that's who lays the foundations. Um, and usually, right, so, so marketing also are in charge of the go-to-market, but usually founders, uh, entrepreneurs, um, they, they have a good idea of how they want to go to market. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to, to raise any funding, right? So right. if they raise, the, the usually the investors would look for an initial go-to-market. So they already have that 
uh, perception or idea. Right. Now, what you want to do is make sure that you start building the right infrastructure, build the right, start building the funnel, um, incorporate, you know, a, a CRM uh, connected with your marketing automation, create that foundation. And, and, and when that exists, you can build on top of it anything or, or everything. And in terms of marketing operations, are, are there lots of people who have that title or are you usually taking someone who did some sort of other, like just in terms of recruiting and mapping to that function, is that an increasingly common title you'll see that, you know, exists at all of the unicorns in Israel and otherwise, or, you know, do you want to take maybe someone with a slightly different title that, that could fit into that role? So that's a great question. It's also very relevant to me. Um, I've been out there uh, looking for a director of marketing operations uh, almost six months now. Um, and and right. it's, 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 it's a tough talent to find. Um, a, because uh, uh, the, the title itself uh, um, varies, you know, the, the, some of them call themselves uh, uh, growth marketers. Some of them will call themselves uh, marketing operations. Some yeah. of them will call themselves, you know, uh, performance marketing. Right. Uh, it, it, it ranges. You need to have a very good idea of what you're looking for. And I think that, you know, um, if, again, if, our, if we're speaking to entrepreneurs here at early stage, they probably want to hire people that have done it, that have built, you know, a, a marketing a, a stack, um, have, you know, created funnels, have done it before, let's do it again. Um, and, you know, th that, that, that would probably be my, uh, um, my biggest advice. If there's a lot of talent out there, um, you need to look well, you need to look good for them. Uh, they exist. These people exist. And then, you know, in the course of the last six months, I spoke with probably 50 amazing people uh, oh, wow. that have that have amazing experience. They just wouldn't weren't the perfect fit for what I was looking for, mm -hmm. um, unfortunately. But but each and every one of them um, could definitely, uh, um, you know, or easily uh, uh, build the infrastructure for a strong marketing uh, type of uh, operation. Cool. Um, so I guess, yeah, another, another takeaway from this chat is just the the need for uh, marketing operations talent to uh, continue to develop in this ecosystem and we you know Correct. Should, and, should find and yeah and i would say that not long after hire the storyteller either the content person or whatever someone that knows how to tell a story because the way i see it you're building a distribution arm and or a distribution machine and then you want to feed it with the right content with the right story with the right everything right so you yeah. build a machine and then you want to start arming it and, 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 and calibrating it, right? So first would be the marketing operations, then would be the, the storyteller content or, or whatever. Amit, amazing. Loved it. Learned a lot. Really grateful for your time. Glad you're doing better. Uh, looking forward to next time. Sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, if anyone uh, listening to this uh, wants to ask any follow-up questions, uh, hit me up on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you, Amit. Have a great rest of the week. And thanks to our audience for tuning in. Yep. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.